0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host Ian Hart. It's USFL edition today. I understand the NFL draft is happening tonight and I will be back here with Dwayne McFarlane as soon as that is done to break that down you know what? USFO happens this weekend. It's live football. Going to continue doing two of these per week to complement our ever-evolving fantasy coverage. Don't worry, everyone. It is just me here. Solo pod edition. Dwayne McFarland was kind enough to bless us with his utilization report. Goodness, though. So it was fun having Dwayne here for a week, but about two weeks after the draft is over, we're going to start doing team preview pods. Going to be having seven fantasy NFL focused podcasts per week. And you know what? Like I appreciate Dwayne and don't want him to turn into A black hole of like not having a life other than talking about football and stuff, so should probably make sure uh, that we stick to NFL version stuff with that. But anyway, we're here to talk USFL and let's do it. Everyone, great day to be great. Hope this Thursday has been a fun time for all of you. So, basically, goals today quickly want to go through my top three takeaways after two weeks of action, go through the power rankings injury analysis, best bets, and we get out of here. So with all that said, let's get after it, everyone. You can find this uh, USFL Week 3 Power Rankings DFS and Gambling Preview on pff.com. It is going to be behind a paywall right now. I've had a lot of people ask, what is the easiest way to get uh, access to USFL Premium Stats? And the problem is that we only have those right now, really behind um, even the paywall. It's in our PFF Ultimate product, so it's not something you can readily access, but I am giving you guys everything you would ever need from that right here in this article so if you want access to these usfl stats all you got to do is spend you know 50% 50% of normal price because we have code DRAFT50 to get a PFF Elite annual subscription. So all locked article content, draft guide, mock draft simulator, again, DRAFT50 for 50% off a PFF Elite annual sub that will get you all the USFL info you need to know in addition to all the other cool stuff that PFF always provides. So with all that said, everyone, let's go ahead and get going on the top three takeaways through the first three weeks of action first two weeks of action but anyway this is a mostly run heavy league like in high school and college like you don't need to be the most pass-heavy offense. It's only in the NFL when things are as efficient as they are throwing the football that it becomes, you know, a war crime basically to be this run-heavy offense. But what we've seen in the USFL uh, just kind of shows the difference between some of these teams at the top and bottom. Number one, by far, in situation-neutral pass play rate, the Philadelphia Stars at seventy-three point one percent. Birmingham Stallions at fifty-nine point three percent. The only other team above fifty-five percent. So the Maulers, Gamblers, Bandits, Breakers, and even the The Panthers are all between 50 and 55%. New Jersey Generals sitting in dead last at just 45% situation neutral pass play rate. I think week one is skewing that number a little bit. Remember the Generals ran the ball on like 24 straight plays in that second half of the game. But it's also just, you know, two weeks of data and, you know, hold hold that with uh, a little bit of hesitation i guess here with the generals but either way guys the philadelphia stars not only 73.1 pass play rate but they're spreading it out with four or five wide receivers on the field all at once gotta love what bart Andrews has been doing in philly actually birmingham but you know what we're calling them these names so might as well stick with it also want to point out that guys Jonathan Adams has been balling, Truly, like I showed you guys the highlights in the in the review pod earlier this week. But the things he was able to do last week were, you know, a big reason why I think a lot of people actually had him ranked as a draftable wide receiver before last year. I mean, you look at him going down the sideline, sideline, being you know over reckless on his Odell Beckham making this one-handed snag. But that wasn't the only play. He's back in the end zone, managing to levitate for an extra second, getting those feet down for the two-point conversion and finish things off later in the game with another contested catch down the sideline so Jonathan Adams man we've been looking at this league you know trying to go ahead and find that number one wide receiver that is just better than everyone else on the field right now is looking a lot like Jonathan Adams you know we had the PJ Walker Cam Phillips XFL you know DFS goodness going on might just be Jonathan Adams and Kyle Sloater here in the USFL so shout out to Jonathan Adams truly just been balling all over the place this year and finally one of the quickly note that protecting the quarterback, not exactly a given in this league pressure versus the pass rush a little bit of a chicken and egg thing you know is the offensive line backs they've been facing really good defenses or they, have they been making the defenses look good because they're bad with that said we've had three teams clearly do a much better job of protecting their quarterback than the others the Pittsburgh Maulers New Orleans Breakers and Birmingham Stallions all between a 19 and 21 percent pressure rate everyone else is up above 28 percent or more and honestly the Philadelphia Stars at 28 percent pretty much in the middle the bottom four teams in pressure rate allowed the Bandits at 35%, the Generals at 39%, the Panthers at 39%, and the Houston Gamblers at 47%. Just really tough to get behind. And I mean, luckily, when we look at some of these teams, you know, the Gamblers, the Panthers, and Generals, we're not really looking at those passing games much anyway, because we have two quarterback situations going on in New Jersey and Houston. I think Michigan could devolve into that after last week's Shea Patterson just not doing much with his full-time opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Paxton Lynch getting more involved in future weeks. Oh, even the Tampa Bay Bandits. We all thought Jordan Tiamu could be the number one QB in the USFL. He was being used in the committee with something named Brady White last week. So this is just a good thing to keep in mind here, you know, with the Maulers. Yeah, maybe Love is going to be a quarterback that we can start to get behind because even though the offense seemingly is a little bit, you know, more old school than we, pres- we prefer, but Kirby Wilson having that run first mentality. But when you look at it through two weeks, Pittsburgh actually does rank third in situation neutral pass play rate. they a good job protecting the quarterback and we've seen guys like Bailey uh, Gaither actually go out there and make some big plays for him. So passing games, I would generally be sticking to Pittsburgh, New Orleans, Birmingham and Philly. Not only because of this note about, you know, having the improved uh, offensive line to actually keep these quarterbacks upright, but conveniently, these are also teams where we can expect only one quarterback to be under center. So again, not a guarantee with the Maulers. I don't think Kyle Luletta is necessarily completely out of the picture. And we also have to look at Birmingham and Alex Magoo potentially coming back. So particularly the New Orleans Breakers and Philadelphia Stars, we got a good offense. We got a good offensive line and we got a quarterback that not only is being protected, but has actually proven the ability to go out there play every snap and put up some good numbers. With that said, let's get to the Week 3 power rankings at the top of the New Orleans Breakers. 2-0 in a plus 37 point differential. Obviously a bit inflated from the beatdown over the Bandits in Week 2, but plus 37, guys. I mean, only the Stallions at plus 9 and the Stars at plus 1 are even in the green. So the fact the Breakers have that large of a lead, I mean, we're talking 28 points over the number two tier point differential. Uh, truly been impressive. Looking at the defense, PFF's highest graded overall group. I mean, Kyle Slaughter is dealing with a handful of injuries. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. Uh, but the New Orleans Breakers have earned the number one spot through two weeks of action. Number two, Birmingham Stallions, also undefeated. My number 18 before the season, in large part because I did not believe in Alex Magoo, well, he got hurt, and now Jamar Smith is in there doing the damn thing. The other big part with Birmingham, we talked about this after week one, this pass rush is for real. They have pressured opposing quarterbacks on 41 of 69 dropbacks. 59% pressure rate for this defense. No other unit has a pressure rate even higher than 33%. So maybe it ha- maybe it's a little bit of a small sample size. I really don't think Birmingham is going to pressure opposing Q- on six out of every 10 dropbacks for the rest of the season necessarily but still they've been doing so good right now and if that pass rush is continuing to be even you know 50 percent as good as what they've been this year uh this could be a situation where i think they can win any given friday saturday or sunday whenever the usfl is playing these games Number three, the Philadelphia Stars at one and one I love the past happy offense. We have seen Brian Scott, league-high, eight-turnover-worthy plays so far. He's gotten a little bit lucky in terms of defense, dropping picks and stuff. We do have the PFF's low, lowest-grade overall defense. But with the Stars, back-to-back weeks of their offense looking at worst average, and we'll take that in this league at this point because our number four team the Tampa Bay Bandits at one and one like, guys, they've scored three points in their last six quarters of football. It was a great first half in week one. But at this point, Todd Haley offense isn't exactly looking like a world-beating group. Jordan Tiamu is again uh, rotating with Brady White. It's not good. So we'll see. Like I think they're gonna bounce back. I still believe Tampa Bay is a top four team in this league. Uh, but if this offense keeps sputtering, and then we can't even trust Tiamu to be out there a lot, uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe Tampa Bay Bandits are the biggest frauds of the 2022 USFO action. Number five, New Jersey Generals also one and one. We've seen DeAndre Johnson and Luis Perez flash to various extents, you know, throughout the year. Defense has allowed the third-fewest points through two weeks of action. I wouldn't hate people for, you know, putting them actually ahead of the Bandits. to do have the same record. But ultimately, I was more impressed by the Generals' week one loss to the Birmingham Stallions than their week two win over the Panthers. So, I mean, that, that game last Friday night, which is pretty brutal, I think a situation where, you know, yeah, Generals got the W on the, uh, on the win-loss column. But I think anyone that kind of was watching that was the real loser. So I can only imagine if you had to play in that. Team number six, Houston Gamblers, one-on-one. One. Clayton Thorson continues to look really brutal, guys. 4.7 yards per attempt. He's completing just 47.8% of his passes. So, PFF's third-lowest-graded offense, third-lowest-graded defense. Houston Gamblers, I think, are the worst team that has actually managed to win a football game so far. And finally, number seven, Pittsburgh Maulers, and number eight, Michigan Panthers, both teams 0-2. Shout out Josh Love with Pittsburgh. He actually has been PFF's second highest graded passer through two weeks. And I mean, that game against the Stars last week, 30-23, to 23, uh, they were leading in the second half. So they know what it's like to lead in the second half of a USFL game. The Michigan Panthers cannot say the same. So I was surprised to see Shea Patterson take such a steep step back in Week 2. I mean, he was legitimately good in the second half of Week 1. It just wasn't meant to be, though. I mean, you look at this offense and, you know, establish the runs. Cody Maine and myself were kind of mocking, you know, what Michigan was doing coming into the year. You know, their offensive coordinator having, you know, these DVDs out there you can buy on his tight end, heavy spread offense. It just hasn't come to fruition. So, if the quarterback play is going to be mediocre and the offense and, you know, the defense isn't going to really help matters, uh, it's just going to be a rough season for the Jeff Fisher-led Michigan Panthers. So, have the PL FF team grades, you know, right here for all the squads, as you all can see. New Orleans Breakers, number one overall graded offense, and they have the number one overall graded defense as well. So New Orleans Breakers really in a league of their own. Shout out to Pittsburgh Maulers. I mean, I have them ranked a little bit down here. I think, you know, they've gotten maybe a little bit overachieved in the passing game so far, but... Hey, so far, they've been doing their thing. We'll see if they keep it up. The Michigan Panthers have at least had a good defense to complement one of the league's worst offenses in the league. About uh, at the same time, when you look at the specifics of it, you know, they're living much more on a good run defense as opposed to having the sort of pass rush that can cause problems. That is where the Stallions really peak. I mean, 85.3 team pass rush grade. Nobody else is even at 74. So just some good notes here. i like to kind of see where the league is at overall before we get into the nitty gritty, which is going to be our DraftKings. Preview, so, guys, looking at this, the one big thing to keep in mind we got to keep an eye on the injuries and roster moves, they always do this shit. At 2 a.m. or whatever they're releasing this, I went through this morning, had this uh, article up on pff.com, you know, by 7 a.m. Whenever the hell the editors uh, put it up in the morning, and I had to make a good 10 adjustments to it just based on all these injury news and releases that go on. So I made a USFL Twitter list for everyone if you just want to go follow it. All it has is the eight USFL teams, and then I think my guy Cody and maybe one other person or so. But if you look through these teams once, twice a week, at least do it before you set lineups, you're going to save yourself because because we've had guys like Jordan Lastly, JoJo Ward, like top air yard, top target guys from one week to the next that i think a rational smart usfl you know fiend like myself or like i like to think i am uh you know guys that we might be behind but you just once they're cut from the freaking team obviously they're not capable of putting up any sort of numbers so gotta be on the football field to catch any passes or score fantasy points shocking take uh there everyone so with that in mind you know i'm gonna update the injuries as they stand right now 1 p.m eastern on this lovely thursday uh I Would recommend though again going through this list before Saturday happens and you guys set those lineups because usually they do do a good job of updating us on everything, uh, giving us questionable, giving us guys who are demoted to practice squad. It's just up to you to actually do that once over before we get started. So With all that said, injury situations to keep an eye on at quarterback. Stallings quarterback Alex Magoo is practicing in a limited session this week. So he was the week one starter. Like Jamar Smith did not come in until Magoo got hurt. I think Smith has played well enough to win the job. I think he should continue to be out there. It's not a given though. So if Alex Magoo is not going to be ruled out for this one, I would not be getting behind Jamar Smith because it seems like a situation that could feature more than one quarterback throughout the game. Houston Gamblers quarterback Kenji Bahar has been limited throughout this week with a hand injury. If he is ruled out, we could actually project Clayton Thorson for a full game's worth of snaps. I talked about Thorson earlier. I mean, sub-50% completion rate, sub-5 yards per attempt uh, rate going on there. I don't love Clayton Thorson by any stretch of the imagination, but with that said, if we can't actually project him for 100% of the snaps, all of a sudden he becomes a reasonable tournament play. New Orleans Breakers quarterback Kyle Sloter. He was full to start the week, downgraded to limited on Wednesday from what I could tell. What's real interesting is that he's only listed on the injury report with a hand and a shoulder injury. I think it might actually be a sprained uh, left wrist. It's not his throwing hand, which is good. But he's also dealing with a pop groin, as they said on the podcast. So apparently popping your groin doesn't even land on the injury report here. But Kyle Slaughter is bang the hell up, people. And he's facing that Stallions pass rush that we talked about with that 60% uh, pressure rate. So Kyle Slaughter, man if he is this much less than 100 i do worry about what that's going to be like you know come this weekend uh with a bunch of pass rushers in his face and finally Big situation to keep an eye on here. Brian Scott with a knee injury did not practice to start the week. In case Koukis, the backup, uh, was limited with an Achilles. So Koukis would be under center if Scott is not able to play. Would like to think that they're not going to have, you know, the league's by far highest pass play rate. to force forced to go to their backup quarterback. Just something to keep an eye on because Brian Scott, you know, what he's been able to do. Overall QB1 finish uh, last week. And, yeah, so Brian Scott is my favorite quarterback play of the week. If he's going to be out there, let's keep an eye on that knee injury though and again with Kukas and Achilles as well. Dwayne McFarland's handy dandy quarterback utilization here this is all year-to-date numbers you know you can check out uh, the article for some more specifics you know week one week two and all that but yeah we only really have two quarterbacks so far that have played 100% of their offensive snaps they are Kyle Sloter and Brian Scott so those injuries are even more imperative to keep an eye on because of these splits Jordan Tiamu last week split things off with Brady White a little bit. White was so bad that I would like to think they're going to go back to Tiamu full, full time. So I'd say he's someone we can reasonably place, though. I'm not that worried about White stealing snaps. These other situations, though, are pretty tough. I mean, the gamblers, we'll see if, uh, if uh, Kenji Bahar is going to be out there or not because of that hand injury. Uh, but if he is going to be active, I would expect him to continue to steal away a couple possessions from Clayton Thorson. Luis Perez and DeAndre Johnson with the Generals continue to be the league's you know, most pronounced two-quarterback rotation. It remains tough to get behind either of them. Josh Love did play every snap for the Maulers last week after Kyle Luleta was splitting things up more in Week 1. We'll see how that goes. But Love has played well enough in this offense uh, to maybe have some exposure to. With the Panthers, they said when the game started that Jason Garrett had mentioned, or Jason Garrett, I think, was doing the broadcast, and he mentioned that Paxton Lynch was supposed to play. He did not play throughout the whole game, even though Shea Patterson was rather terrible. um, I would expect Paxton to probably get back in there next week, so probably not going to be riding that Shea Patterson comeback train like we were last week. And then finally, with the Stallions, yeah, keep an eye on Alex Magoo, because if he's back, I would expect him to, you know, find some way to get on the field, um, whether that's starting over Jamar Smith completely or at least getting in there at the End. So, really, Brian Scott, Kyle Sloter, Jordan Tiamu, and Clayton Thorson, and Josh Love. Those are the five quarterbacks I would be most confident in playing the majority of their offensive snaps. 100% snap rates, I predict, would be Brian Scott, Kyle Sloter, And maybe Jordan Tiamu, that's it. Other guys, all all two quarterback situations. Favorite play of the week is Brian Scott. Got to keep an eye on that injury. But it's not just Scott. It's Scott having this pass-heavy offense and the fact that the breakers, I mean, we talked about, it's not the breakers, excuse me, The Stars talked about this last week. The injuries they have at wide receiver and the lack of promotions they've made from the practice squad, lack of roster moves, made it so that we have Maurice Alexander, Jordan Sewell, and DeAndre Overton running a route on every single one of Scott's dropbacks. 100% route participation rate. So when we have Scott and then we know exactly who's going to be on the field to go catch his passes, those are the sort of stacks that we should be loving in Fantasyland. I will be fading Kyle Slaughter, though, coming off the big game just because of these injuries and then this matchup against the Birmingham Stallions pass rush so the stallions despite that good pass rush have still I believe given up the most points in the USFL so I'm not saying the breakers can't put up some numbers but man guys you know hand shoulder popped groin too much going on there to really be all in on Slaughter so maybe he proves me wrong but I will be fading Slaughter in a tough matchup and with so many injuries uh, to be dealing with running back Three main injury situations to keep an eye on. First of all, with the Stars, Matt Colburn with his knee injury is back practicing in full, so expecting him to be out there. And Darnell Holland with his hamstring was at least limited, so Holland actually hurt his hamstring on a kick return and last week that led to Paul Terry, you know, soaking up most of the backfield's work. Keep an eye though that on Colburn because he was out in week two. So if Holland and Colburn are both active, Paul Terry, who was one of the most used running backs in week two, feasibly won't even be in the rotation. I think based on Colburn and Holland, you know, seemingly being at less than 100%, if they're able to suit up, though, it could could turn into a three-back committee. So we can live with two running back backfields. None of these teams are giving us an every-down workhorse anyway once we get into the three-back committees. You know, as we saw last week with the Stallions, though. uh, No, it wasn't the Stallions. It was... um, Sorry, everyone. It was the Panthers. That's right. Once we get into the three running back committees, that's when things get a little more difficult. Speaking of the Stallions, though, they could be back into a three back committee themselves here because Jordan Chun has been limited this week with a hamstring injury. He was limited last week as well and didn't play. But just realize we have Tony Brooks, James, CJ Maribel right now just split in the Birmingham backfield. If Chun is active, that would now become a three back committee, lowering the ceilings and floors for everyone involved. And finally, New Orleans Breakers, backup running back, but the overall PPR RB1 in all of USFO football. TJ Logan did not practice to start the week with a foot injury. So Jordan Ellis, like he's. Already leads the league in rush attempts. He's the only running back in the league that leads their team in snaps and rush attempts, but is number two in their backfield and, you know, fantasy points. He's someone that they haven't ignored on passing downs, but they've been way more willing to target TJ Logan. So if you take Logan out of this offense, all of a sudden Jordan Ellis probably deserves to be projected for the highest overall touch share. So with that said, a quick look at the season-long utilization. So again, the backfields that could be featuring not one, not two, but three running backs. The Stars, if everyone for them is healthy. The Stallions, if they do end up getting uh, Jordan Chun back into action. And the Panthers are also going to be having three guys out there. The Bandits are featuring two running backs. BJ Emmons soaking up. Most of the work period, but Jawan Washington, their scat back, he actually had his snaps go up last week because of all the negative game script. But BJ Emmons continues to be a weekly top five option at the position. With the Breakers, I mentioned Jordan Ellis. Like when I wrote up my article yesterday, Jordan Ellis was my favorite player of the week. Still is, uh, but mainly because, again, just expecting some solid regression for him versus Logan in terms of, yeah, Logan, the overall PPR RB1 in the USFL this season, but when he's getting fewer snaps, fewer rush attempts, and the I mean, forty-eight percent versus thirty-nine percent. Not dominant or anything. Uh, I just think that Ellis's time will be coming, uh, possibly as early as this week. With the Gamblers, Mark Thompson working ahead of Dalen Dawkins and snaps, rush attempts and routes alike. Uh, that's rare to see, you know, in the USFL. It looks like Emmons, Mark Thompson, and Garrett Groschek are the only running backs. In the USFL, along with uh, CJ Maribel. So CJ Maribel, Garrett Groshek, and Mark Thompson are the only running backs to lead their backfield in snaps, rush attempts, and routes alike. So stuff to keep an eye on there. Uh, Also look at Trey Williams for the general. Someone that deserved to be ranked, you know, I think as high as he was going to last week. But on the year, uh, PPR RB4 would be higher. But Darius Victor is getting in there and stealing away a lot of those rush attempts. And 67% of the snaps inside the 5-yard line. Excuse me. Rush attempts inside the five yard line for Darius Victor. So, dude is freaking yoked. Reminds me of, uh, oh my gosh, what was his name? Uh, Doug Martin, the muscle hamster. Uh, Shout uh, shout out throwback name there. That's who uh, Darius Victor kind of reminds me of, the way he uses juice to the gills, seemingly, uh, in that backfield. So, basically, long story short, everyone, I think the true running backs we can be targeting as the leaders in their backfield this week. B.J. Emmons from the Bandits, Jordan Ellis for the Breakers, Mark Thompson for the Gamblers. Trey Williams and Darius Victor I think are close enough in the league's most run-heavy offense to both be viable plays. Garrett Groschek for the Maulers. And other than that, I am probably fading the rest of these backfields because they are consisting of three running backs. So the Panthers, Stallions, and Stars, keep an eye on these injuries. But if we do end up getting uh, Chun back and then – Colburn and Holland play for the Stars. Uh, they're just going to be too muddled to really be focusing on. So again, mention Jordan Ellis and why I like him as my favorite player of the week. Just 5400 on DraftKings. Like they aren't updating these prices hardly at all, you know, based on what's actually happened the week before. So cannot stress enough how much you do not need to use the entire salary scale to be making your lineups. Like Jordan Ellis at $5,400. isn't. you are not going to see him unless you're scrolling down well past the top five, top 10. Uh, but I do really think, especially with that TJ Logan injury, uh, he's deserving of arguable top, uh, you know, preview placement at the position. And I want to be fading those three headed committees from the uh, Stars, Panthers and Stallions again. So running back room, I'm, I'm continuing to probably be using wide receivers a little bit more of my flex than running backs to begin with. Uh, but we are starting to have some clarity there again with Emmons, Ellis, Thompson, Williams and Victor and Garrett Groschek emerging as more than viable uh, fantasy options. Close things out for our DraftKings preview with the wide receiver and tight end Quite a few injury situations to be aware of here with the stars. Christian Rowland, week one star, <laughs> uh, playing a lot in the slot, getting peppered with targets. He has been practicing in full this week, expecting him to be back. Devin Gray with the ankle injury, a little bit less sure. Maurice Alexander popped up on the report with an ankle injury and practice squatter Brennan Eagles still not practicing at all. So last week without Rowland and without Devin Gray, Maurice Alexander, DeAndre Overton, and Jordan Subo ran around 100% of the offense's dropbacks. We also had Bug Howard getting a big boost there with 82%. Bug Howard, essentially the USFL's Kyle Pitts. He's a tight end that plays wide receiver, and we call him a tight end regardless of that. So over 80% of his routes have been in the slot or outside this year. Bug Howard would be a you know, de facto top four wide receiver in this offense if Roland and Gray continue to miss time. If Roland does come back like we're expecting, though, I do think that hurts Bug Howard more than most because of his, you know, mostly being used in the slots. So tentatively expecting Alexander Overton, Suo, and Christian Roland if he's back to be the top four wide receivers in pass game options for the stars ahead of week three. With the Generals, Jamon Moore with a hamstring injury, still not practicing. Randy Satterfield popped up on the injury report as well with a hamstring injury. So Darius Shepard was getting featured, uh, you know, in this offense without Jamon Moore last week. He was a little banged up in week one himself. But no other wide receiver than Satterfield or Darius Shepard ran around even 40% of the dropbacks last week. So with Satterfield banged up, I think Darius Shepard's the only wide receiver we should really be paying too much attention to inside this run-first New Jersey Generals offense. With the Michigan Panthers, Jeff Bidette, Joe Walker, both practicing in full, looking like they will be back out there for Michigan. Last week, Lance Lenore Devin Ross were out there for almost 100% of the offensive routes. Lenore was out there getting a league-high 164 air yards. I do like going back to Lance Lenore, you know, a week after he busted for a lot of people. Even before, even when Bidette and Joe Walker were healthy, uh, Lance Lenore was playing, you know, and working as the de facto number one anyway. So any, if anything, I think Jeff Bidette and Joe Walker coming back into the picture. Probably just kind of clears out the thought of rostering anyone else from Michigan because it's going to be a little too muddled, a little too full with all those tight ends they also like to use in the offense. Pittsburgh Maulers wide receiver Jeffrey Thomas still banged up with that groin injury last week without Thomas. We saw Trey Walker and Brandon Mack basically cancel each other out, you know, working as the third and fourth wide receivers. Two guys to focus on in this Maulers offense are Bailey Gaither, who we have seen ball out this really entire season. And Delvin Hardaway, who's one of my favorite plays this week because he's a full-time player getting targets. He just hasn't converted them quite as well as Bailey Gaither to this point. With the New Orleans Breakers, Chad Williams, thigh injury, and he has now been released. Also need to keep an eye on Sean Poindexter, who is limited with a thigh and a neck injury. Should be considered questionable. So last week, Poindexter got back into the rotation, 78% routes. Johnny Dixon was at 75%. After mentioned, awesome superstar Jonathan Adams at 85%. Also saw ex-NFL or the Taiwan Taylor out there running 63% of the route. So if Poindexter is going to end up missing time, it uh, would probably be the biggest bump for Taiwan Taylor there at least getting some targets and stuff. But again, I mean, it's Jonathan Adams, I think would just be, he's the number one in New Orleans. Uh, assuming Kyle Slaughter is going to be healthy enough to actually throw the football. And finally, uh, Bandits wide receiver Derek Dillon with a shoulder injury. Like if you look at the Bandits, they're using six freaking wide receivers more weeks than not. So I don't think that Dillon going to make too big of an impact one way or another. Uh, but yeah, if you want to target that passing game, we'll take, you know, every um, reduced option we can get. With Dwayne's lovely wide receiver and tight end utilization report. You can see right away the guys that, you know, do actually have these route rates worth, uh, worth getting into. Because, again, there's only a few teams that actually have condensed pecking orders in the passing game that we can really get to. So looking at offenses that have had multiple players, you know, with 80% plus routes and teams that we can actually expect to know who's going to be out there, uh, you know, beyond just a little bit of confidence. With the Stars, mention this, but Jordan Suell, DeAndre Overton, and if healthy, Maurice Alexander should be the guys playing most of the snaps. Last week, they were out there for 100% of their offensive routes. Just realize, though, if Christian Rowland's going to get back into the picture, uh, it probably would just decrease things for Bug Howard more than anyone. So Suell, Overton, Alexander, Christian Rowland are the top guys to be looking at for the Stars. Also have a nice, uh, just clarified peck order going on with the Stallions. Victor Bolden, Marlon Williams, and Osiris Mitchell – all between 96% and 100% routes this week, uh, is season. Excuse me. So yeah, we have some uncertainty in terms of is Alex McGu going to come back and what's that going to mean with Jamar Smith. But these wide receivers in Birmingham, I think are fantastic to put in the lineups of all shapes and sizes to help fill things out. Um, Panthers, again, I like Lance Lenore. Other than that, mostly staying away. With the Maulers, Bailey Gaither, PPR wide receiver two on the season. Delvin Hardaway is the wide receiver 15, but still their routes are identical. I mean, their targets, Bailey Gaither, 23% target share. Hardaway just at 20%. Air yards, 30% versus 27%. I mean, if we did like the player A versus player B, Gaither and Hardaway, you could barely tell the difference of them, but Gaither's been the one scoring all the fantasy points. I would like to think at some point it's going to swing back to Hardaway's direction. With the New Jersey Generals, really only Randy Satterfield has been out there on a, you know, per play, per route basis, high end streak throughout the entire year. Uh, just tough situation with him as banged up as he is at the moment. So keep an eye on Jamal Moore's uh, status as well. But yeah, you can't quite see it in this chart because I did a per I did a minimum route participation of 50 percent on the season. But for the Generals, Darius Shepard, who came on strong in week two, would be the preferred number one option if you want to invest in that offense. With the Gamblers, Isaiah Zuber really standing out as their number one, 97% route rate, no one else above even 70% on the season, and 40% of the offense's air yards have gone to Isaiah Zuber. Only other guys in the USFL with an air yard uh, share of at least 40% are Osiris Mitchell for the Stallions and Lance Lenore with the Panthers. New Orleans Breakers, another room that we can feel pretty good about who's actually going to be out there. Jonathan Adams and Johnny Dixon, 80% plus route rates on the year. And then should have Sean Poindexter if he's healthy um, out there for a good chunk. If not, remember, Taiwan Taylor should be out there. And then with the Bandits, just so much of a mess there. They're using five, six wide receivers a week. And I was getting behind Jordan lastly because he had 31% of the air yards. He was at leading the way in terms of routes, you know, targets per route, all the good numbers. Numbers for lastly, he was you know at the top of shout out Josh Hermeyer. You know the air yard model where you're looking at receiving yards minus air yards and seeing you know who has the most, uh, who's been just not making the most out of their opportunities. But Jordan Lassley got released, so he's no longer a member of the Bandits. That would put presumably John Franklin at the top of the list. They even used him in some Wildcat stuff last week. Uh, But ultimately in this Bandits offense, so many mouths to feed in this passing game. Even O'Grady, their tight end, like he was playing all the snaps, all the routes in week one. He got put basically in a tight end committee in week two. So. If anything, I might go with uh, Tiamu and then back to O'Grady and hope that he'll get, uh, you know, some enhanced uh, just route participation after I'm not sure why he was rotating at all last week. So if I was going to invest in the Bandits passing game, it would probably be O'Grady and now John Franklin with Jordan Lastly out of the picture. Straight to the favorite plays. Already mentioned these guys, be yeah, Lance Lenore and Delvin Hardaway. They're only, let's see. There were three, yeah, three total wide receivers have, that have had more than 100 air yards and realized receiving yards and have run a route on over 50 percent of the offense's dropbacks. So the third one was Jordan Lassley, but again, he got cut, so he 's out of the picture. That leaves us with Lance Lenore and Delvin Hardaway as full- time receivers in their offense. They've gotten a ton of air yards, ton of opportunities just haven't managed to cash into it yet. So Lance Lenore, I love going back to the well with him after he burned people. And, you know, it's, I get it. I don't love having Shea Patterson, Paxton Lynch throwing the ball either, but Lenore was getting healthy out there. And I just think that he's going to have depressed ownership this time around after burning so many people last week. And then with Delvin Hardaway mentioned just the closeness that he's had with number one receiver Bailey Gather Gather in terms of target rate, air yard share and all that, where we're looking at the PPR wide receiver 15 versus the wide receiver two. So love Delvin Hardaway in a bounce-back spot this week. As for my fades, I want to pivot. Same kind of sentiment. I want to use the recency bias in everyone's mind from Week 2 and pivot to other guys in the offense that are playing just as much. We just didn't see them put up the numbers. So if you look at, you know, the breakers in Week 2, we had Jonathan Adams work as the overall wide receiver 5, Jonathan Dixon as the wide receiver 4, Keep an eye on the health, but Sean Poindexter with a 78% route rate and Taiwan Taylor 63% uh, could be out there as well. I will say, Jonathan Adams, he's only 3,800 on DraftKings. Like, you don't need, really, the salary savers, but if there is someone that I'm willing to eat the chalk a little bit more, it is Jonathan Adams, particularly if Sean Poindexter is going to be sidelined as well. I mean, at that point, we're looking at Adams getting even more involved, potentially, and that's a scary thought for someone of his caliber. With the Pittsburgh Maulers mentioned Bailey Gaither, we're going to be pivoting to Delvin Hardaway. With the Stallions, you know, you look at Marlon Williams last week, wide receiver three overall, and a Sirius Mitchell wide receiver six. But Victor Bolden was still out there running 100% of the routes. And honestly, eye test wise, I thought Bolden, what he was able to do after the catch really stood out while watching that one. And then with the stars, Maurice Alexander, the wide receiver one from last week. But now he's banged up. So we have Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton coming off 100% route rates. Chris Rowland potentially coming back. I'll have a lot of exposure to Christian Rowland if he's going to be active. And even Devin Gray if he's active. So Alexander and Buck Howard were the odd men out in week one with all five wide receivers healthy. So. I'm fine going back out of all these guys. I'm most fine going back to the well with Jonathan Adams because, again, he's benefiting from newfound injuries in that offense, and he's just so damn good. I think he can make up for it. But in this Stars lineup, man, if all these guys are healthy, we could legitimately see last week's overall wide receiver one be the number five wide receiver in this offense. So Jordan Sewell, DeAndre Overton, Christian Rowland, definitely my top three plays from the past Happy Stars Mentioned uh, Jonathan Adams as one just having an absurdly cheap price. Again, you can save so much money on draft kings if needed uh, that there's just not really too much of a reason to worry about you know who you need to jam in there. So have eight players that are priced at 4000 or under yet had a route participation rate of at least 75% last week. Mauler's tight end, Hunter Thedford, 81% routes in Week 2, just $2,500 on DraftKings. Gambler's wide receiver, Tyler Polko, is at 78% route rate. He only costs $3,000. John Franklin, particularly with some of those uh, other moves we mentioned with them actually getting rid of Lastly, I mean, John Franklin... 89% 89% route rate in just 3,200. If you are looking for a pivot off Adams, you know, in this low, low cost range, he's certainly viable. Panthers wide receiver Devin Ross, 100% route rate, 3,500. Panthers are getting a little bit healthier at wide receiver though, so I'd be a little worried about him. I think the best pivot off Jonathan Adams, I know I mentioned this with Franklin a second ago, so sorry for speaking out both sides of my mouth, but off Jonathan Adams, I love going to Mahler's wide receiver Delvin Hardaway. Again, basically the same freaking opportunity profile as the number two fantasy wide receiver in the game and gather but Hardaway's there for just 3,600 has similar numbers also want to point out gamblers wide receiver tyler simmons 100% route rate just 3,900 same 100% route rate for deandre overton at just 3,400 for the stars as well so it's going to be a fun slate. I wish Dakins was giving us a little bit bigger contest sizes, but you know what? We still have that chance to go win 25 large with the first place finish in their 100K tournament. So good luck to everyone out there. I'll be in those streets. And, yeah, you know, I'm going to be behind this computer for the majority of the weekend. So if you guys are, you know, taking a break from the NFL draft, send some USFL lineups. Uh, feel free to DM me at me on Twitter, at iHeartes, and I'm happy to talk any sort of ball with you all. Week 3 best bets. We're 4-4 on the season everyone. If you stop hearing my against the spread record, there's a good chance it went south. But right now, we'll take 500. Hopefully be, uh, you know, improving on that moving forward. But starting things off on Saturday. Two Saturday games this week. Two Sunday games. Houston Gamblers versus Tampa Bay Bandits. Bandits are one-point favorites. Game total is at 38 and a half. I will be taking the Bandits minus one here. I feel like this line could be a point or two higher. Ultimately, I think Jordan Tiamu has a higher ceiling than Clayton Thorson. We can talk about who's actually played Maybe a little bit better to start, but I still think it's not a close quarterback question if we had a larger sample size. So give me Tiamo and the Bandits, just one point favorites over the Bandits. Tough to throw out, you know, the 31, whatever it was, point loss from last week and completely ignore that. I do think this line, if this was a week two matchup, I think this line would be three or four points higher. Game of the week undefeated Birmingham Stallions versus the undefeated New Orleans Breakers. Breakers are three and a half point favorites. Game total is at 44 and a half. If Kyle Slaughter was 100% healthy, I'd be fine to roll with him, but as we've talked about five times on this podcast, he's not giving the Stallions plus three and a half in hopes that pass rush causes all sorts of problems for Slaughter, and they keep on putting up points. So the Stallions, first in points scored, dead last in points against. Uh, we need that defense to you know do a little bit better job of keeping their opponents out of the end zone, but again, just having that potential trump card with the pass rush uh, could at least make things a bit more difficult for new orleans than they've been in the first two weeks Pittsburgh Maulers versus the Michigan Panthers. Somebody's O has got to go in this one. Uh, Panthers, two and a half point favorites. Game total, 39 and a half. The Panthers and Jeff Fisher should not be favored against anyone. You can put a high school team out there and they should not be favored at this point. Give me the Maulers at plus two and a half out of principle alone. Like, look, Jordan Love has played better than any quarterback on the Michigan Panthers. I think both offenses are... Probably too old school, but the Maulers are, have I think, shown more schematically than the Panthers have all year. At this point, I don't think there's a big enough difference in the defenses to make that big of a uh, leap. So get this, guys. The Panthers have 18 points in two weeks, and they've thrown for a total. They've had an entire game's worth of first half. So, like, they played 60 first half minutes. They've thrown for 49 yards in the first half in two weeks. Like It has been miserable in this passing game. I don't expect them to get much better. And finally, New Jersey Generals versus the Philadelphia Stars. Stars one-point favorites, and I think they take this one, give me the Stars minus one over the New Jersey Generals. Most run-heavy offense versus the most pass-heavy offense. What's better than this could be one of those situations where, hey, you know, we just have, you know, styles makes fights type of situation. Maybe this is a blowout one way or another. Uh, ultimately, do just want to bet on the team. I think it's a little bit smarter, a little more pass happy. And the stars with that said, if Brian Scott is going to be out of this game or even questionable, that's when we can switch back to the generals, get behind DeAndre Johnson and Luis Perez. So. That's going to wrap up this edition of PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. Appreciate you guys following along with this league. It's been fun. I mean, it things were looking bad after a predictably rough week one on Easter and then we had that horrendous Friday night game, uh, you know, with the Panth- with the Michigan Panthers letting everyone down. Last three games of week two were truly awesome though, so I'm really hoping that scoring was a sign of more good things to come and we get some good football going on, everyone. Live football is happening this week. I'm excited about the draft too, but, you know know god it's it's 2022 you're it's legal to have multiple tvs in one room get usfl on the side tv why the hell not so thanks to us for tuning in people we will be back here on monday reviewing what happened and then back here again next thursday previewing week four so i'm ian hard thanks again for tuning in and until next time take care everybody